You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Kausik Rajkapal, PayPal's Chief Human Resources Officer. Kausik is responsible for PayPal's global workforce planning, talent acquisition and evaluation, compensation, benefits, learning and development, as well as culture, diversity, and inclusion initiatives. Prior to joining PayPal, he spent 15 years with McKinsey, leading the development of high-performing HR functions for global companies across all industries and sectors. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Kausik discuss the role of leaders as a culture advocate, how to incorporate culture and core values into recruitment, the importance of inclusion and belonging, which is one of PayPal's core values, strategies related to employee listening, taking care of employees' mental and financial stability, and PayPal's systems on how to maintain culture heading into the future and digital remote workplaces. Before diving into today's episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our Scale and Culture Masterclass the eight-module playbook on how to build and sustain a resilient, high-performing team, covering all things culture, from creating and activating core values and culture-driven screening and onboarding, to building relationships, change management, and operating as a team. To learn more or purchase the Masterclass, please go to scalingculture.org. Now, on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today I'm very excited from PayPal to have Kausik Rajgopal. Kausik, uh, welcome. Thank you, Ron. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You know, when I saw you on the list of uh, as my next guest, um, I didn't recognize your name, of course, knew the brand and was really excited to dive into, you know, what is PayPal doing for people and culture? What are their challenges and what's happening there? So I'm excited to, to, to jump into it. Before we do, I looked at, you know, your profile didn't seem at, at first glance to be centered around people and culture. You have a very big people and culture role. Like I, I, I'm, by the way, you know, when you think, when I think of the role of director of uh, your, your, your actual title role is what director of HR. Yeah. I'm uh, the chief HR officer. And right. President. Yeah. Right. So, so to me, that's a people focused role. Right. Yes. And so, but when I look at your, your background, it didn't seem overly people, people focus. It, it, it didn't look like I started as a recruiter and then I went to a general man, you know, general HR. And then, so walk us through because you had some, you know, McKinsey and some really interesting stuff there, but, but this is a, it feels like a pivot, but maybe not so much. I'll let you, you go ahead. Uh, it's a partial pivot. Uh, I spent more than 15 years as a partner at McKinsey, more than 20 years in total. And, and McKinsey is a global management consulting firm. Uh, while I was there, I led our payments and fintech practice, and uh, PayPal was one of my main clients. Um, and uh, while I was at McKinsey, I also played managing partner roles, most recently co-leading the U.S. practice. And in that role, uh, I, I served several people-intensive functions, including uh, helping drive talent acquisition, uh, culture, people development, diversity and inclusion, et cetera. So in that context, this is a role that is kind of a dream role for me because it brings together two of my loves, payments and people. Right. Uh, and, uh, and the opportunity to play this role at a mission-driven, values-oriented company like PayPal that I think is making a real difference in the lives of people and small businesses around the world was an, off was an offer I couldn't refuse. So that's why I'm here. 
Interesting. But I'm going to assume that much more complex because of the different layers with PayPal, where, you know, McKinsey's a consulting firm. And so it's not like it has frontline employees. The consultants, I guess, are frontline, but this must be much more complex. What's the big difference between what you were doing at, you know, and, and the complexity with the people focus with, with a McKinsey versus today? Uh, so there are some similarities, and as you point out, undoubtedly some differences. Uh, the similarities are both organizations are quite global in scope. Uh, and the big difference, uh, as you know, is just the variation in employee types. So at McKinsey, largely uh, consultants and support staff are consultants. At PayPal, we have a variety of employees who are more in tech. So we compete actively for talent for software engineers, for example. And, and that's a hot space right now. So that's one type of employee profile. We also have lots of employees in call centers and operations roles in risk and compliance roles. So the diversity in the employee base uh, in terms of job scope and role type is much greater. Uh, and, and, and undoubtedly, that is a more complex uh, landscape uh, right. to, to navigate. Um, but I've really, but I've really enjoyed it, and uh, you know, I, I do think the unifying strand across all those employees are the values that PayPal holds dear. Our values are innovation, inclusion, collaboration, and wellness. And uh, we try very hard, and we think we've we've done a reasonably good job of living those values as consistently uh, as possible in a way that serves our employees. Now, that, some of those sound progressive, which is great. I'm going to make an assumption, maybe I'm wrong, that these were upgraded or not. Have these been since day one? Uh, so a lot of it dates back to when Dan Schulman joined PayPal as CEO, which was when PayPal spun out of eBay. Uh, and in many ways, I think you could think of Dan as the modern founder of PayPal. Uh, and, and these values really um, were important for him to institute. So as an example on inclusion, uh, as soon as Dan came into the role, he instituted pay equity globally. Uh, and so that's something as an example uh, that we've done consistently since PayPal became an independent company that lives the value of inclusion. Uh, mm. Wellness is something that is a value that has served us really well during COVID. But uh, to your point, it was actually a value that was in place well before COVID. And we have uh, taken numerous actions, particularly during the pandemic, to support employee wellness, uh, including crisis leave to support specific needs of employees and their families, part-time and flexible work from home arrangements, and probably our most popular uh, uh, tangible offering on wellness is our wellness days. So globally, the company shuts down. Last year, we did it for um, six days on a given day. And so there's no email, no texts, no Slack. And it's an opportunity for employees to rejuvenate, relax, recharge. Uh, and it's something that is a tangible expression of our commitment to wellness. So those are a couple of examples on those four values. Love uh, that. Very, very progressive. But Cass, a quick, quick question on the on the six days. Is that the, the, the whole company? It's one, two, six in a row, everybody shuts down? Yeah, it's we generally tend to do it every couple of months. Uh, and, and we really started doing it during the pandemic. Just because so, so sorry, one day, every few months, not six consecutive days, not six consecutive. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and interesting. And, and we started doing it during the pandemic just because we recognized the toll 
that the pandemic was taking, um, not just on physical wellness, but also on mental health and wellness for employees. And it's very easy in a, you know, in a digital environment where you can quote unquote seamlessly go remote and work from home that you're just doing all work all the time, right? You're bouncing from Zoom to Zoom with nothing in between necessarily to rejuvenate. So we recognized that early on. And uh, I think this is something that is highly valued uh, by our employees. No, I love that. Very, very progressive. And and sounds like, um, it sounds like it's landing well. Uh, your employees must be appreciative of it. Um, yeah, one of my favorite things uh, on a wellness day, because I don't have any work on a wellness day either, is to uh, look at LinkedIn where our employees are posting what they're doing on their wellness day. So maybe cool. somebody is windsurfing, somebody is visiting their parents and spending time with them. Somebody is going for a hike with their kids. Uh, somebody's getting a facial. You know, I love these posts and inevitably they tend to be the most popular within the community as well. That's great. And as you know, you said earlier, you know, the war on talent, how important and, 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 is the culture today a winning factor? How important is the culture with the war on talent for you? Like, are you finding that now folks at all levels are really starting to ask their own questions and dive deeper into what culture am I walking into? Is, is it important to them? And, and is it, is it is allowing you to win? Absolutely. In, in many ways, I would, I would describe culture as the X factor in the war for talent. And the war for talent is only intensifying, I would say, particularly in the technology space, uh, but certainly across the board. And several factors as a result of the pandemic have only added to the intensity of it, like shortages of workers in various areas. Uh, I think of <clears throat> culture in this regard as uh, having, maybe I'd describe it as including IQ, EQ, RQ, and MQ. And the IQ part of it is the tangible employee value proposition, right? What's the job? What's the compensation, et cetera? The EQ often relates to how the culture is wired and the day-to-day -day experience of the emotional quotient that the employee experiences, particularly with their manager. Uh, you know, it's often said in the HR space that People don't quit companies, they quit their boss. And totally. you, have teams. To, yeah, you have to define a culture where that your immediate manager and your team is providing a supportive environment. So that's something that we focus very heavily on during COVID to live. Well, Kasa, tell me about that. I want to dive into that. How did you do that? Did you survey the team to see how the manager was supportive? How did you put your money where your mouth is on that? Yeah, so we got some help from a digital uh, environment and undoubtedly our culture was also an important part of it. So I'll describe a couple of a couple of tangible things. So I do think when we went fully remote, uh, it is at some level easier for a manager to be more inclusive because they're looking at squares on a screen and you can go around and, and make sure that everybody is participating, everybody's feeling engaged. Uh, it's obviously not quite the same thing as being in person and navigating body language, but that's something that I think our managers paid a lot of attention to. One of my favorite uh, inclusion hacks in this regard is um, something the Supreme Court does in their case deliberations. Uh, as we know, the US Supreme Court is very, in some sense, very hierarchical because you have a roster of justices. But when they discuss a case, they have a rule 
which is that nobody speaks twice until everybody has spoken once. And I love that as a Ooh, way I to love get that. everybody's voice in the room. And if a manager in a meeting can do that early, everybody's included. So that's a simple mechanism <clears throat> that a good manager can use. Kasia, I just want to repeat that. I thought that was so lovely. No one speaks twice until everybody's spoken once. Yeah. Love that. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, so I love the simplicity of it. I love the power of it uh, as it resonated with you just now. And, and I think our managers really emphasize simple mechanisms like that uh, to make people feel included during the pandemic. Uh, and institutionally, we also mobilized to make sure that people felt supported. Uh, so I mentioned some things like the crisis leave program and flexible work arrangements. Um, we also added a global wellness advocate and, uh, and provided additional counseling support, stress management tools, tools and resources for parents. So there is something here about supporting the whole person uh, and, and making people feel like they can bring their whole self to work. There are obviously other companies that may have chosen to take very different paths, but this is authentic to who we are as a culture. Excellent. And I think that resonates with the people we want to attract to work here. Uh, and we will continue to think about ways in which as we emerge from the pandemic and we transition to more hybrid ways of working uh, to make sure that we are on the leading edge of inclusive day-to-day -day work practices. Yeah, I, and, and I'm curious about the screening methodologies for, for the culture. But before we get into that, I, I was also curious when you talked about, you know, pay equity and, and with, you know, inflation rising so quickly and it's hard to find labor. How does a company at your size with 45,000 plus staff? So obviously, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning you could have a bunch of administrators, accountants, whatever that are, whatever this role is that, you know, everybody was making $50,000 yesterday and all of a sudden to get, you, you need three more roles and you have to bring on it at 70. How does that work? Like, how are you guys dealing with that at large scale? I mean, it must be a, I don't want to call it a disaster. It's got to be a, pro a complex problem. Yeah. Uh, well, the answer in short is uh, competitively, thoughtfully, and in as calibrated a manner as possible. Obviously, it's a very fast moving environment. So one of the core things we do on questions of compensation is to make sure that we're benchmarking on a rolling basis. And we need to benchmark both by job type and by geography, uh, because there are significant variations in how uh, employees get compensated. Uh, and so we make, I would say, rolling adjustments, uh, which we've done over the course of the last few years, and particularly uh, over the last year, uh, based on that benchmark. Uh, but then we think about compensation as part of an overall employee proposition that includes other elements as well. Uh, so this includes, <clears throat> I think, uh, a consistent commitment we have made to financial wellness. Uh, and let me share this as a specific example, because I think it really speaks to what we're trying to do. Our mission is to democratize financial services and to ensure broader inclusion in the global economy. In 2018, we conducted surveys with a large sample of our entry level and hourly employees. And the results were frankly difficult for us to hear because many of them did not feel financially secure. Kasik, what, 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 what does an hourly employee at PayPal do? Uh, so they might be staffing a call center or they might okay. be in operations. Got it, and, got it, sorry, keep going. And so we learned that even though we paid 
at or above market rates. It was not enough. And we said, hey, one of our values is wellness. So if we are in financial services and one of our values is wellness, we need to start at home with a commitment to the financial wellness of our own employees. So we started an employee financial wellness program, which targeted wage adjustments, healthcare cost reductions, which is particularly significant in a market like the US, stock ownership and financial education. And we've set a goal to say that the net disposable income, which is the discretionary income remaining for our employees after taxes and typical living expenses are paid, needs to be at about 20%. So 20% left over. Exactly. And uh, we found that's that, if someone um, doesn't have any bad habits, Kausik, you can't, that, that does not include bad habits. Someone could be a video gamer, lots of money in video games. So we, we have to normalize those numbers, correct? Yes. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I begin every day, particularly after the pandemic with the serenity prayer, grant me the courage to change the things I can, uh, the serenity to accept the things I cannot and the wisdom to know the difference. So I can't control the video game habits of, of individuals, but we are committed institutionally to do everything we can. That's uh, great. To enable people to reach that. So we're proud actually now we've gone from, in some cases we had hourly entry level employees at sort of four to 6% in that disposable income metric. Um, and we're now at 18%, very close to our goal of 20%. That's excellent. And those items you went through, was that a menu? It's like, hey, Ron, choose from the menu or not? This is, this is, this is the full buffet. Uh, so it varied depending on the geography. So in some cases, maybe the healthcare cost is less of an issue. Uh, in, in other cases, it may be quite significant. And uh, we've continued to prioritize it with more of a menu, um, depending on what's relevant for the employee. So we offer one-on-one -on -one financial coaching, for example. Um, we offer early wage access if employees want to do it through partnerships. So they, they can borrow against their wage? Is that what that means? Yeah, with companies like Even and Hasty, which provide these kinds of services. And we build partnerships with, with these companies. And we'll continue to be innovative uh, on the basis of the benchmarking, right? So to right. back your original question on this thread of, hey, it's a very competitive market for talent. I think the two-step we, we take on a rolling basis is let's continually be looking externally. So we're never satisfied with where we are internally. And then based on that, let's think about what we want to do and take action in a way that's authentic and true to who we are. And, and to your values, mindset. right? Love it. Yeah, great. You, well, very, very impressive. Um, curious, um, and then I do want to get to the screening of values. But you know, this came up with um, one of my coworkers. Say we were talking about you know we've we're people working from home. It's got kind of blurry. Um, do we give people kind of an allowance to set up their office because some people are just kind of buying items for themselves? Have you guys were you faced with that? And how did you how did you how did you navigate through that? We were and we did so through the pandemic. Um, we provided uh, stipends for people who were able to work from home, uh, which was a large portion of our employee base. Uh, it is worth noting, I remind myself, by the way, that the whole work from home dynamic is a privilege. Uh, more than half of employees around the world never had that opportunity, right? Healthcare workers, retail workers, right. people working in docks, like doing, doing labor that required them to be in person. So we're always... We start from this point of gratitude that 
we have the opportunity as a digital business to be able to work from home, but we recognize that there are some tangible things that need to be there to support our employees. So we provided a stipend for employees in that regard, but we also supported, we also provided things that supported mental wellness, uh, including counseling support um, and also tools and resources for parents. I think that was a population that for whom it was particularly stressful to be uh, working from home. Right. Young kids. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's great. So it makes me think that's probably what will, I feel like I'm going to do a combination of one and two, a menu option, and then a stipend for that menu. If here's, here's a budget and, and go at it. Uh, thank you for that. Um, let's talk about the, you know, so four key values. What does that look like as far as how have you scaled the screening process? When does it, when is, <clears throat> what does the screening process look at PayPal look like, i.e., do, do you ensure that I can do the job first? Maybe it's a test to make sure I can deliver on whatever this is. And then we go to values. And then what are some of the strategies with values? When do values come into play and how do we screen for them? Uh, on talent acquisition, which I think is what you're asking about, uh, undoubtedly we screen for both. We screen for, are you able to do the job effectively? And sorry, Kelsey, is that first? I was just wondering the order. Uh, it's not first, so it's a bit of a um, it's a bit of a combination, if you will. So an initial conversation may screen somebody for their background, how they think about collaboration, for example. And then, you know, let's take the example of a software engineer. Uh, we would then have them do some kind of a coding test. So we right. use uh, tech. We use a variety of tech tools to assess. Um, you know, capabilities in that regard, but on things like values, what we found really powerful is to not just ask people directly the question of, hey, are you collaborative? But it's the old, you know, instead of telling me you're funny, tell me a joke. <laughs> so we ask people to share examples. Um, so question may be, when you were confronted with a challenging situation leading a team or being part of a team, what did you do? Uh, and and having questions that are open-ended in a screening process, I think are very powerful. And I love when you begin with a thread like that, what did you do? What was going through your mind? Uh, and, and, and if you play off those two questions, you really get a sense for how somebody uh, moves between thinking and doing as a team player and as a leader. And you get a pretty tangible sense of not just how perfect somebody is, which they may be coached with a script or ready with a script to share in an interview, but you also get a sense for the humanity underlying that, right? Including the flaws and the challenges, uh, you know, and maybe somebody says, you know, what was going through my mind in this challenging situation was how do I have a candid conversation with somebody to share a tough message? And that's difficult for me. Uh, and, and in the course of conversations like that, when you screen for a value like collaboration, you get a tangible sense for how the person is wired. Uh, mm -hmm. You get a sense for who they are. You get a sense for their resilience in difficult situations, which is important. You get a sense for, are they willing to get help? Um, and, and that's important in the collaboration value frame as well. Right. So, yeah, right. It's not just about sitting around a group of people strategizing. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and 
and, and I think those kinds of open-ended questions in, in an interview process that is coordinated with more technical skill assessments, for example, and doing the job uh, can be very powerful to screen effectively for values. Yeah, it's interesting. We, you know, I, I typically have chosen get the skills right because I just feel like, okay, if we screen for values, the reason why I, I like to do skills first is because I feel if I screen for values and they're a great fit, then I tell myself that we just have to figure this out. You know, I can become a fan and like, wow, this person would be great to work with versus like, well, you know, two plus two is not five. That's wrong. This isn't going to work. Why are we doing this? Why are we wasting our time? So, but, but it sounds like you've got a bit of a um, hybrid. Yeah. And partly I think that's a function of by the time somebody begins the interview process, we usually have a pretty good sense that they're not, hugely underqualified or in the wrong ballpark for something. Right. So there is a level of comfort with an initial interview screen before you enter the formal interview process for, for consideration that you probably can do the job. Now we're still gonna test that with some rigor, uh, but you can get a sense for based on educational qualifications, prior job experience, they can probably code, right? right. How Fair well enough. can they code? You know, We're gonna do that assessment, but in the meantime, let's screen for these other things as well. Well, we were, we were recently doing an accounting interview and, and our COO and director of finance, uh, I always have this test that I like to give. I don't even know, I couldn't pass it, but it was given to me by a, a third party accounting firm one time. And I was like, well, make this person take the test. You're like, well, no, Ronnie, like the, 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 they have a designation, like that they're going to be okay. That no, we're not going to bought, that would be insulting. I was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, I was, I was curious on, um, you know, when you're going through your value screening, have you found, because we've certainly found this, that in some cases we take their past job for granted. What I mean by that is I'll say, um, you know, if one of your values is innovation, I forget all four, uh, but let's just say it's innovation, yeah. you know, and you, you ask someone, hey, what innovative ideas have you had in your last three jobs? And they, they weren't culturally, that wasn't an option. What have you started? How have you tried to, to find out the answer about the individual? Because there is this counterbalance of, look, I couldn't collaborate. I was just told, do what you're told. Always press that button. Have you guys come across that? What have you done to counter it? Yeah, it's a great question. And this is where on a value like innovation, experience is only one of the legs of a three-legged stool. The other two are skills and attitude. And so if somebody responds in that way, like they've been hemmed in by the construct or the culture they were a part of in such a way that they don't have some compelling story about how they innovated. You can still explore how they approach innovation. You can still ask them, you know, you're joining a digital payments business. Uh, what, what are your ideas on potential products or services we can offer our consumers? That's an open-ended question. And you can see how they think. Uh, and you can get a sense for how structured that thinking is, how creative their approach is. Uh, also, if you engage them in a conversation, how open are they to taking feedback? So then you can see the interplay between the innovation value and the collaboration value. Mm. Uh, and frankly, the inclusion value as well. Are they being, are they listening to you or are they just, you know, really focused on their own idea and that's the only thing they're gonna pursue? Uh, so we want innovators who are collaborative and inclusive, right? Mm -hmm. And the interplay of those things in a discussion as part of an interview 
that focuses on your skills and your attitudes rather than just your experience can be very helpful. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We've, I think it's hard to hack that one, but what we've started to do is ask people their personal lives, right? Because you kind of get to the authentic person. You can be innovative at home or with your children, right? And so we've kind of said, ah, this is maybe too, it's a tough bet because there's almost complexity with where you worked in the team and the interaction, your leader. We've started to be probably 75, 25, those same questions, but in your personal life. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great, I think it's a great question. And in fact, if you start with the more work-oriented question that I asked, inevitably, we often find that people get to their personal experiences, right? Well, these are the kinds of, you know, interesting financial services products that I would think of introducing because it makes a difference for me, right? That's where a lot of people might start. But I love the dimension that you highlighted just now of uh, start with things that may be completely unrelated to quote-unquote work, and just how they live that in their lives, mm. uh, because it does speak to the whole attitude and, and, and the skills they may be building in their own lives with regard to that. Uh, and frankly, for us, that would be consistent with the concept of bringing your whole self to work as well. So I love that. Yeah, 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 great. Well, we'll keep moving with that strategy. And we we've, have found, you know, because I do th- find it's, it's about getting to someone's authentic self. I remember the story about uh, Sherry Perez, uh, who's with Southwest, one of the senior HR leader, um, always tells a story about, about in some cases when they were going to hire someone who picked you up from the airport was part of the interview process and your interaction with them, the front desk attendant and, and you know, that you interacted with. Sometimes they would bring you to the wrong boardroom and mess up your coffee and that would be part of the process, right? I love those strategies. I feel like I need to do more of that. It's like, it's a bit of a... a, a an Easter egg hunt, but it, it's got purpose, you know? Um, and I, I like the strategy. What are your thoughts on that? Anything, so, you know, something like that obviously has the benefit of being able to do it in a physical <laughs> in yes. a physical environment. But I think anything that helps you uncover who the real person is, uh, in, and, and if you can do it in an unguarded moment, that's even more powerful uh, because then it's not, it's not a script or a performance, uh, I, I think is worth considering. So let's talk about the future. Um, what's some of the strategies? What do you think are the speed bumps? And, and I'm going to bring this up. I don't know if this is even on your radar. I only watched one video of it. And I was like, how's this going to work? It was like this, when I watched Mark Zuckerberg's, uh, Zuckerberg's video on the metaverse and people were showing up as different you know, avatars. I'm like, what? How am I going to know? <laughs> is that happening? Is that... You're, you're closer to that's where you live than I am. Is that going on? Are people showing up as Godzilla at work or not yet? Is the metaverse at PayPal? Uh, it's a great question. So uh, maybe in the spirit of talking about uh, our personal lives, last year, back in the depths of the pandemic, when we were all at home, I asked my nine-year-old son where he wanted to live. Um, and uh, his response- Don't say the Death Star, not the Death Star. No, he wanted to re- live in Roblox uh, because where? Like, Ro- Roblox is a game where you construct your own virtual world. And uh, he had a swimming pool in Roblox and he was having his friends over all virtually, of course. And he just loved that. And I think it, it highlights a very important consideration for leaders today, uh, which is that there are different generational dynamics and different demographics that you have to think about when you consider the future of work. Uh, 
you know, I was talking to a colleague who joined us from a bank and he said, you know, it feels like the older generations have a sense that something like the trading floor is a physical thing. And, you know, he's 29 and he said, well, for my generation, the trading floor exists in the cloud. <laughs> it's not a, right. it's not a physical thing. And I think there are time honored concepts in the development of people and culture like apprenticeship, like mentorship, like sponsorship, like role modeling. And these are incredibly important, but I think that we're entering a world where increasingly there's going to be this interplay of the physical interactions that, you know, older generations are used to and more digital and remote interactions that, Virtual, yeah. Yeah, that younger generations are a lot more comfortable with. And a central obligation for leaders is to actually navigate that. So one of our um, principles around this is to be really flexible in the ideas we adopt on shaping the future of work. Uh, and we want to be a shaper because we think we have the privilege of being a digital business. And one of our obligations is to shape the future of work for our communities and our employees. So but, we but if you don't, if you don't, you're just drawing lines, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're probably losing talent also, I would say, uh, particularly in the technology space. Uh, but we want to be flexible in the ideas we adopt. We want to be humble. So humility is one of our principles. We want to be humble in learning and adjusting. And we want to be equitable in the experiences that we provide uh, and shape for our employees. So our predominant work model, as we think about kind of emerging from the pandemic, knock on wood, uh, is something that we're calling virtual flex, uh, which means that in a lot of cases, the default mode may be virtual, but we want to flex around that. So the flex is going to be based on the nature of work that you do and what is most effective to live our values in the context of your day-to-day -day team experience for the work that you do. So some team then has the flexibility to say, you know, we'll be virtual maybe three weeks out of four in a month, but maybe we get together for the last week to really brainstorm or uh, do a product sprint uh, and shape something together. So if you take that as a default model, the power of that, and in the spirit of humility, our thinking is still evolving on this, but the power of that is you give teams the room to be able to innovate and not get into this box of, you know, you have to be here on Tuesdays and Thursdays in person for everybody. Right. Uh, and if we can solve that, we think there's real power in that because you give people flexibility, but you also enable more intentional in-person interactions with a purpose. Right. Uh, to build community. So maybe you come together for a product sprint. Maybe you come together to celebrate a product launch. Maybe you come together in person for training. That is really foundational. Maybe you come together in person to have annual performance dialogues to evaluate your people because you're doing that as a leadership team at whatever level. So those are the kinds of uh, in-person interactions that I think could be really powerful in more of a virtual flex world, uh, which is our bet on, on work models as we go forward. Yeah. Cause you know, it's funny. One of the things I think about <clears throat> when I think about there's a balance, right? There's a balance of creating an environment where everyone feels safe and they can tell you how they feel and, and raise their hand when they need help and, and tap out when they've had too much, but there's a balance of pushing people out of their comfort zone. 
and pushing them to be greater. You know, like I always, I'm like, now there's a balance here. Sometimes I have, it's okay. I'm pushing someone. It's uncomfortable. I see it. I can feel it They're, They don't feel safe at the moment, yeah. but it's, it, I, I feel like, and I think when I go through this, the question is what's the intent is the intent to lift them up, then push. And if it's not, then don't leave them alone. You know, what are your thoughts on that, that push pull of, of, uh, of, you know, safety versus un- pushing someone to be a little uncomfortable? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so my mental model for this is three concentric circles. The innermost circle is the comfort zone. And to your point, almost no learning happens in the comfort zone because you're fully comfortable, right? The second circle is what I call the learning zone. You're out of the comfort zone. You're pushing yourself. Uh, maybe you have some safety nets. So you're learning and, and uncomfortable at the same time. The outermost concentric circle is the terror zone <laughs> where you are so far outside of your comfort zone and you feel like you have no support, no tools, no safety nets at all. And I think the art for uh, people agenda and for scaling culture is to provide the right tools and support while also pushing people into that learning zone. Mm. And uh, in many ways, by the way, the pandemic did that. I would argue in some cases it pushed people, particularly in the early days of the pandemic, fully into the terror zone, right? We, oh my God, we've never done this before uh, in a fully virtual way. How are we going to do it? But there were heroic acts, not just at our company, but at companies, governments, institutions, workplaces around the world where, you know, we, we rediscovered that necessity is the mother of invention. And we did things virtually that we never thought we could at a pace that we never thought we could, right? Uh, you know, call centers in financial institutions around the world, including ours, went virtual, you know, practically at the drop of a hat. In the yeah, Zappos, boom, you know, yeah. like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think as we emerge from the pandemic, the learning zone, I think, is the sweet spot, that second concentric circle. Mm. Uh, we, you know, and by we, I mean collectively as humanity, we probably spent enough time in that outermost terror zone circle with the pandemic and uh, for learning, balancing that with our mental and physical health, being in that learning zone is is the right spot. Well, it's, it's interesting, just on learning quickly, uh, and I, I wrote about this, I have a, a new book that launched uh, February 22nd, this week called scaling culture, which you just said, you, I think you were endorsing my book when you said that. Thank <laughs> there you. you go. <laughs> uh, and, and we have a chapter on, on learning and innovation. And we talk about in the book, learning in the flow, right? Because, you know, I, I think learning in the past was always like, Hey, Kausik, I'm going to now take you from what you're doing. You're very focused. It's year end and you've got a lot on your plate and I'm going to pull you out and, and put you into this leadership training, which isn't frontline center for you right now. It's, it's yeah. not, it's not in your way. It's just a skill that I'm mansplaining on you or corporate explaining, whatever we want to call this, right. Yeah. Versus learning in the flow. I'm making chicken Parmesan. And I don't know if the cheese goes on top of, of this pasta sauce. So I Google, I figured out. And as I do, I figure that out real time. And when I think about that, it's quite simple, but I think that solving that is really about providing people the safety to learn in the flow. It's okay to stop Google, call a coworker, call your mentor, stop, go to the library, get a book if you had to, you know, what do you, what do you think about that? It's a great, uh, it's a great point. And, And I think learning in the flow with the right support tools. So giving people the safety to feel like they can ask a question that it's okay to ask for help 
that they can fail, particularly if they're early in their journeys, is really powerful. And then I think for a people agenda and, and scaling culture, uh, I, I think of it as field and form, right? So learning in the flow while you're doing, whether by yourself with the manager or in the context of a team, is the field. And every now and then, you want to have some kind of a form. And I think one of the most exciting things as we go forward is a lot of learning and training programs did go virtual during the pandemic, right? Now we have the opportunity to say which of those should stay virtual, which of those right. might be more meaningful to do in person. But if you can combine the field with more bite-sized forums, I also think, by the way, this is a generational difference. Mm -hmm. I think there are generations where it was okay to go for a two-day training and sit in a plenary for 16 hours over two days. Those days are over. And I think for the new generations or the younger generations, we have to think about more bite-sized forum reinforcements. Their brains are trained that way. Dopamine, yeah. dopamine, dopamine, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the combination of those things with learning in the flow, reinforced by the occasional forum, or mm. bite-sized chunks, whether virtual or in-person, can be very powerful. So learn, learning in the flow, and you're saying form is, to, what I'm hearing is, is more deep learning. That's where you dive into a book, a topic. It's, it's not, you're trying to, not trying to solve the problem of the day, but form to you, your version is deep, deep learning. Deep learning, yeah. focus, uh, maybe the three or four concepts that are really critical to yeah. understand, and then you can bring that back into the field. Kausik, I've loved this conversation. I've got a page full of notes. I, I really appreciate your time and your counsel today. Thanks for dropping in. And uh, and yeah, thank you very much for your time. Great to be here. Uh, thanks for having me and keep scaling culture. For more information about Kausik, please follow him on LinkedIn. To learn more or purchase the Scaling Culture Masterclass, please go to scalingculture.org. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe and share or take a moment to rate the podcast. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.